you turn in your Bibles to the second chapter here of the book of Colossians, uh, a message that we started last week, we did really the introduction to it. We're going to pick up again in verse 16, and we'll finish up through verse 23 today. But really, this is the second part of the message that we started last week in the dangers of legalism. And so we continue this thought process. And again, I want to remind everyone, we're not talking about uh, cheap grace. We are not talking about uh, living lives that are filled with sin. We are not excusing that which would be liberties that are taken that lead towards uh, being libertine in your thinking. In no way, shape, or form am I explaining away the wonder of the moral law of God. But I am talking about those external things, and Scripture talks about those external things, those things that we do not touch and do not eat and do not do, because somehow, in man's eyes, this is the standard whereby we judge one another. We are judged in Christ by His grace and through faith. That's the only way that anyone comes to a relationship with God. And so it is the external things that people like to use as their own personal uh, judge, jury, and executioner towards their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so as we pick up in verse 16, let's once again ask God to speak to us through the power Uh, of his wonderful word. Father, we have again just gathered together in your house on your day to study your word. And we pray that you would set captives free, Lord, those that maybe came in. And there's a hint uh, of that, that prideful arrogance, that bitterness, Lord, those things that come from adding external things to the grace of God. And we pray that you'd set us free Pray that you would release us, Lord, from the pressure that we even put on ourselves and others when we don't think correctly about the liberty that we have in Christ. And so bless us with your presence. Uh, Give us the true meaning of these verses through your Holy Spirit's power. We ask this thing in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 16, and we continue onward now. And So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And so he makes it very clear that people during those days and times, specifically those who were the Gnostics, those who were uh, in the region of Colossae, were trying to add something to the grace of God. And the thing that they added were all kinds of do's and don'ts and regulations and keep the Jewish feast and the Jewish Sabbath and do all these things. You needed to do that as well as have the grace of God. It is the grace of God plus nothing that saves. Amen? The only way that you have a right relationship with God is not what you do. It's in whom you have believed and are persuaded that he is able to keep that which is committed unto him till the day of Christ Jesus. That's how you come to faith. Amen? We have to get this because when we start adding other things, that's how you come up with religion. And religion is not a good thing in that sense. Religion is what often keeps people from coming to a real relationship with Jesus. It's the man-made external things that people put on other people. And I'll give you an example. I grew up in the Baptist church. And again, love my Baptist brothers and sisters. Please take no offense at what I'm about to say. I came to faith in Christ in the Baptist church. But I remember being pulled uh, into a little meeting with a couple of the elders. And I was told very poignantly that I could not sit in the main sanctuary until I went home and got a tie. Now imagine that you're a 16-year-old when that happens. And you're going, I don't see that in my Bible. 
What do you eat? What do you drink? What do you touch? What do you wear? You can add all kinds of things. Now, what I am not saying here is, well, let's just be lawless. Let's have no rules. Let's have no bounds. That is not at all what Scripture says. It's not what I'm saying. But that was an external condition that was put on a young man that caused that young man to think that he had no right place in the kingdom of God without a tie. And I pointed him to the hymnal. I said, doesn't it say, blessed be the tie that binds? <laughs> so I bound the tie and threw it away. No, it, it, we, we get hung up on external things. If you love suits, wear a suit to church. In Jesus' name. If you love a tie, wear a tie. If you like a dress shirt, wear a dress shirt. Don't dishonor the Lord. But what God tells you to do, we're no longer under the bondage of those things. Notice what he says beginning in verse 17, and we'll focus in now. Which are the shadow of things to come? You see, the law... The Old Testament law, the ceremonial law, the Levitical law, all of those things God dealt with at the cross. We don't relate to God by the law anymore. We relate to God by grace. And so all of that law was so that we would come to our senses and go, man, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And the law leaves me hopelessly lost and there's no way that I can do this well. And so now I'm going, there's got to be some other way that I can relate to God. And so it was a shadow of the grace that would come into our lives through Jesus Christ. It was something that we could look at and go, oh, that's what you mean. But the substance is of Christ. The real deal is Jesus. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He says, you, you, you can almost see the people. You may have some of them in your life. You may know some people. You may have some outwardly religious people in your life. You've probably been visited by some of them if you live in a neighborhood where the Jehovah's Witnesses frequently come. They come with their stern face, their long dresses for the ladies or suits for the guys it's 90 degrees outside they have a scowl on their face and we're the only people that are going to heaven and here's how we know it you need to read the watchtower you you need to have this version of the bible that was translated by the way by those who are not biblical scholars none of them had beyond a high school education but they'll tell you well you need to keep the law And it results in bondage. Because it's legalism. And here's why. No amount of outward restraining of your flesh is going to give you a right relationship with God. It won't happen. And I'll give you some examples a little later today. It creates false humility. In their case, the worship of angels. Or higher knowledge. Thinking that they'd seen things that you haven't. And vainly puffed up in their flesh of their mind. And not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Christ. You see, it can be about external things. 
It can be about the color of the walls or whether the chandeliers are one color versus another or whether we have one color of carpet or another color of carpet or whether you drive through the parking lot against, I had a guy come to me and and he literally told me that he saw some people driving the wrong way and I'm thinking, you you came to church and the only thing you got out of it is someone drove the wrong way down, it's like, couldn't we talk about something else? And you get hung up on all this stuff. Look, if our relationship with Jesus is because we drive one way or another way in the parking lot, we're all doomed. It's over. From whom all the body is nourished and knit together by the joints and ligaments and grows with increase, that is from God. We want the increase that is from God. Look, here's another warning. Paul gives us this warning, and we need those warnings at times, amen? You guys need warnings? I need warnings every once in a while. And I'm glad I get them. You know, there's sometimes you'll, you look at like boxes of whatever, and you look on there, and it's like, wow, I don't think I want to, you know, put that in my system. And that's really what the apostle's doing here. He's warning us. Look, you can begin to substitute relationship for rules. And we want to be very careful that we don't do that because it's bondage. Peter would call it a yoke on his neck. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Galatia, would call it a yoke of bondage. It's a heavy, absolutely constraining thing that ends up making your life very miserable. And by the way, legalism is just as much a sin as any other sin that we might mention. When you put external things on the grace of God, you tell people they must do this, and you cannot back it up with Scripture, you're putting bondage on somebody. And they're now believing they need to do things your way, or they're not okay with God. We are not to do that. We leave Christ the head, and we leave his word as the supreme authority of what that looks like. We don't come up with artificial things. You see, sometimes I think what happens to us is we forget what Jesus said. He said, it is not that which is on the outside there in Matthew 15 that defiles a man. It is what's in his heart that defiles a man. It is those things which come from inside. The moment you begin to talk about this subject, you usually will have the actual legalist, the very people to whom I would like to speak the most to today, will come to you and say, well, you know, what about the law, brother? Well, let's talk about the law for a moment. And let me make it very clear. The Old Testament moral law, God's character and God's nature explained from Genesis to Revelation is exactly the same as it was in Genesis that it is now right here today. He's not changed one ounce. Not one thing in his character has changed because his word says about him, I change not, says the Lord. So whatever his opinion was on adultery in Genesis, it's the same today. Whatever his opinion was on drunkenness, it's the same today. Whatever he has said in the past about our moral behavior, it's why the Ten Commandments are broken into two sections, our duty to God, our duty to man. Whatever he has said about our duty to God, his character and his nature are exactly the same. 
And so we're not talking about whether you now have some liberty to sin or not. You have no liberty whatsoever as a believer to sin in any way, shape, or form. Am I clear? You don't even have to worry about it. God's not changed his opinion on murder. God's not changed his opinion on hatred. God's not changed his opinion on bitterness and anger. None of those things are any different today than they were when he first brought Adam and Eve onto this rock. Those things are set. But the other thing, the dietary laws, why did he give those to the children of Israel? He gave them because at the time nobody owned a Frigidaire. They didn't have the USDA. Nobody walked around going, well, I don't know if this has got botulism in it or not. And so he gave them some very strict dietary guidelines that largely prevented them from becoming ill and made them healthy. And so he gave them some guidelines. But it was not what saved them. And yet people today somehow believe there's a whole denomination of people who call themselves Christians called Seventh-day Adventists that will try and convince you you need to be a vegetarian in order to be right with God. God did away with that at the cross. And he said, look, you relate to me by grace and through faith now, not by whether you eat kale. (laughs) A deep-fried Twinkie is not sin. (laughs) Now, if you eat 60 of them, we have to talk. You see, but people want to put external things on you because it becomes a measure of your spirituality. So you become a vegetarian. Now, if God tells you to be a vegetarian in Jesus' name, be a vegetarian. I have no problem with someone wanting to be a vegetarian. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I like bacon-wrapped fried chicken. I, I don't get it myself. I am fairly bummed that Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles is closing, but... I'm not trying to even dismiss that. I'm simply saying you're not more holy because you have kale shakes for breakfast. (laughs) And yet people want to make it an issue of salvation and relationship about what you do to the outside of this earthly tent. And there is no amount of beating this down and subjecting it to torture that's going to make you more holy. You are holy because Christ in you is your hope of glory. Amen? And so the dietary laws, the ceremonial laws were completed at the the cross by Christ. You see, the ceremonial laws were how the Jewish people related to God. And for all of their time that they spent all the way from Egypt through the wilderness wanderings to their time in the promised land up until the day and time that we are speaking today, their relational ability to relate to God was based on them keeping all kinds of ceremonies and laws and things that helped them understand who God was. Well, we now understand because if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Amen? So we have seen the risen Christ in that sense, and we now relate to God by Christ Jesus our Lord. So all of those things are complete. The Levitical law is not for us. The law itself, of course, still warns us of sin. Of course, it is a standard. Of course, when you look at it, you can go, you know, should I... Should I have that extra gallon of double fudge chocolate nut? You can probably say no. Why? Because in your Bibles, get this, 
gluttony's a sin. So if you're eating a whole gallon of ice cream, that's a sin issue, right? But if you're having a deep fried Twinkie and it's only one, grace. (laughs) It's probably only 1,500 calories. You probably shouldn't eat anything for the rest of the day. Now, I said that for the very specific reason. This is how people get hung up. This is what happens to them. They start to judge whether, you know, three of these is good and two of them's bad and five of them, obviously, you're going straight to the pit of hell. Please don't do that. You'll be miserable. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. He has given us all things richly to enjoy. You, you, you see, we have a relationship by grace and through faith, and these external rules and regulations will put you right back in the bondage you've already been delivered from. You see, if you take care of the heart, the outside takes care of itself. That's what happens. All of a sudden, now that grace starts to flow out of you, and your prayer life starts to flow out of you, and your intake of the word that comes into you comes out of you. And before you know it, you start to live differently. And God convinces and convicts by the Holy Spirit that these things, well, you probably shouldn't do that. But you can't just simply beat yourself into submission. It's impossible because the flesh wars against the spirit, amen? And so if you feed the flesh, the flesh is going to get strong. If you feed the spirit, the spirit gets strong. You see, their legalistic system tried to deny that God's grace was actually at work in anybody's life. And what ultimately happens is you cheat yourself. Please don't let yourself be cheated. Do not let yourself be cheated. And the word is translated here. Now notice verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding into those things, which he's not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. What Paul's getting at here is there are rules to life. God's given us the Holy Spirit to convict of sin and righteousness. There are ways that we're supposed to live the life that we live. But it's not staying in your lane that saves you. It's staying in your lane that gets you rewards. You get into the race by grace. And you're supposed to stay in the grace lane. It's like I'm watching the Olympics, and for the third time in as many Olympics, our 4 by 100 men's relay team once again can't complete the pass in the lane. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm looking at Justin Gatlin going, you've done this three times before. Why didn't you sit him down and pass the thing in the baton, pass the baton in the lane? They were disqualified, right? Don't let anybody cheat you. Don't be cheated by running outside of the lane, and outside of the lane is legalism. It's bondage. You don't want to go there. Too many people, I believe, walk in less than the God-desired amount of joy they're supposed to have in their life because they're so busy, worried about the rules and the regulations that they forget that they've been saved by grace. And they start thinking that somehow they're saving themselves. If I just do this and just do that, then I'll be okay with God. You see, the false teachers in Colossae were telling you, well, if you, you, know, if you actually talk to angels, you do all these kind of things, you need these super mysteries that we have, and if you have these things, then you'll be right with God. The only way you're right with God 
is you have believed on the only begotten Son of God, and in him you have life. That's it. The rest of the stuff God takes care of from the inside out. At the heart of legalism is a very dangerous thing. Pride. Pride was the cause of Satan's fall, amen? That's what happened to to Satan. Here is this, this cherub, one who's being used of God in heaven to bring glory and honor to himself. And here, here's this incredible angelic being who says in his own heart, I will be like the Most High God. Isaiah 14, you can read the story later. God hates pride. God loves people, but there are things that God hates. God loves all people, but there are things that God hates. Why? Because those things destroy us. They kill us. They beat us up. They cause us to not hear his voice. Proverbs 6, if you want to turn there, verse 16, notice what it says. These six things the Lord hates. Now remember, his moral law, his moral character has never changed. So if he hated something when the book of Proverbs was authored by Solomon, largely, if he hated it then, he still hates it today. Okay? Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now, that's not good. If God hates six things and seven are an abomination, if God really doesn't like these things, they must be super dangerous for us. Look at number one, a proud look. When you view things in this life and you think you know better than God or you are better than other people, when you place yourself in the seat of judge and jury and executioner, when you transplant God and make yourself, in essence, the supreme ruler, God hates that. God doesn't like it. It's bad. And the reason he says that, we find as we get in... Proverbs chapter 3 tells us, uh, James chapter 4 tells us, Peter chapter 5 tells us, look, God actually resists pride in our lives. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so exercise a little humility in those things where you're looking at other people's lives. Think of them the way you want God to think of you. Look at your own life and go, Would I really want someone looking at all the minutia in my life? Do I want someone digging around in the tender underbelly of the stuff that I deal with in my head every day? I can tell you right now, there's not a single pastor on staff here that wants you to do that. Because we'd all fail miserably. You'd find some thought there in our heads and you'd go, pastor thought that? God gives grace to the person who humbly acknowledges that we're not God. God hates pride. And legalism is pride. The Gnostics were interested in this super knowledge and inner secrets, all these things. And Paul just attacks it and he condemns it. And he says, look, don't do these things. They'll destroy you. Because pretty soon, you're going to be the arbiter of who is walking with the Lord and who isn't. 
And I think most of us that have walked with the Lord for any length of period of time can look back on a time in our lives when we have judged someone else's salvation, we have judged their walk with the Lord, we have looked at them, and we may well actually be right. But you keep that to yourself and you pray for that person. They don't need help and discouragement. If there's a sin issue, correct it in love. But if it's something you think a little bit differently than somebody else, then you keep it to yourself. Let God deal with their heart. You see, because where all of this goes, because knowledge does puff up, but love builds up. Knowledge gives us swollen heads, and love gives us swollen hearts. I'll take the swollen heart, thank you very much. The swollen head doesn't help anybody in a general sense, but the heart that's enlarged does because it starts to recognize other people's desperate need for the same things that we ourselves have need of. And so now I judge my brother or my sister by what I need and what they need and not by the standard that I have concocted in my head that says they need to look like this if they're really going to be God's children. One of the places this shows up, and we'll wrap it up with this basic central thought, is asceticism. And it's a very long word, and basically it's very simple. It's just self-denial. If you just beat down the flesh enough, and you can see it throughout history. And in fact, one of the places that you see it, notice what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why As though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? He's not talking about that which is right before the Lord. He's talking about that which we have made up in our own hearts and minds to try and give ourselves some measure of way to understand whether someone's walking with the Lord or not walking with the Lord. In other words, legalistic guidelines. Well, if you do this, you go to that class, you wear these kind of clothes, you do these certain things... You don't drive, heaven forbid, you drive backwards through the parking lot. That's an unsaved person for sure. Why do you subject yourselves to those regulations? Do not touch. Notice what he says. Do not touch. Do not taste. Do not handle. If I just deny myself these things, I don't taste these things, I do not handle these things, notice what he says about those things which concerns the things which perish with the using. Look, you and everything on this earth, all of us, all of this was made for here. And so all the stuff that we talk about using or not using, all those things we talk about handling and not handling, all those things which we could possibly put in our mouths and taste, every last bit of that's for here. So there are no external regulations that you can place on yourself to deny yourself those things that's going to make you any closer to God because those things are actually for here and not there. Now why is that important? Because you have a whole bunch of examples throughout history of exactly what happens when people start to put that external pressure and those external commands. You say, well, if you do this and you're really holy, If you do this, then you're showing that you really have zeal for God. There are a couple of churches in Mexico to where their their way that they express themselves to, to gain God's favor is to break glass in front of the church, broken glass on the stairs, and they crawl up to the 
church on their knees in the broken glass. That, to me, needs the help of a psychologist. And I don't mean to shame. I'm just saying that's insane. Christ died for you so that you don't have to be beat up anymore. Amen? That's not making you closer to God. That's making you have less blood. I just came back from Belize. Belize has the largest population of Mennonites outside of the United States of America. My guide while I was there, Jacob, who drove us around in Belize, came from a third-generation Mennonite family. And I was fascinated to actually sit and spend hours with the Mennonite and talk to him. What's this all about? I've done work actually in Amish country, so I'm familiar with some of the Amish uh, ways of life and how they function. He began to share with me. It was mind-boggling, the the revelation that I got from Jacob. And here's what he said. He said, it's gotten so bad within the Mennonite population of Belize that they actually buy cars, take the motor out of them, and tow them with a horse. (laughs) Because you don't want to use anything that's got an internal combustion engine in it because that's using man's progress and exalting yourself above God. Then he went on to tell me, he says, yeah, well, we're mostly farmers. And I said, so, well, tell me, it looks like you've got, you know, you've got an international harvester, you've got these tractors here, what, what's going on there? He said, oh, yeah, we've got all those tractors, but we take the rubber wheels off and we replace them with steel so that when we roll across the rocks in our field, we can feel all the rocks and every bit of anguish of every rock. And I said, why do you do that? He says, well, because if it doesn't cost you something, it's not worth anything. Do you see the legalism? God's not asking you to make your life harder. He's asking you to give your life to him so that he can transform and renew your mind. Then he started sharing with me. I said, so what happens if you're a child of one of these families, if you don't see things quite that way, what happens to you? And here's what he told me. He said, you will be shunned. You will need to leave the community that you were born in. Your parents not only will disinherit you, but they will consider you as dead. Dead. You no longer live. And he said, furthermore, let me share with you a little about a little the inner workings that go on here. In Belize, we have the highest incidence of the rate of AIDS in the world. We have the highest incidence of teen suicide in the world. We have the highest rate and incidence of incest and child's born, ch- children born to brothers and sisters in the world. And I asked him, I said, what do you think that is? He said, because we try and force a relationship with God by applying external principles and practices. It looks on the outside like it's holy. But all it does is force all the flesh right to the surface and it eventually bubbles out. His words, not mine. You see, that's what legalism does. Oh, it looks holy. I don't even have a cell phone. 
They're not attached to the things of the world. But it doesn't change your heart. The heart change has to come first. You see, our spiritual position, the futility of these rules, the true value uh, of that type of legalism has no capacity to transform your heart and your mind. None. Only grace can do that. That comes to you by faith. And so I pray maybe you're here today and you're one of those people that just gravitate towards legalism. If what God's asked you to do, he's asked you to do because he's told you to do it. That's between you and God. But don't put that external thing on somebody else. If you're here and you think you're more holy because you don't have a TV or you're a homeschool family or you have a kale shake every morning or you don't eat this and you don't eat that, you might want to rethink those things because that's the essence of trying to earn God's approval by trying to beat the flesh and you will never beat your own flesh. Christ has beaten your flesh. He did so on Calvary's cross and you receive that grace gift and the rest of the things will begin to take care of themselves. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray. I want to also remind you that we're running just a hair late, so I want to make available our prayer team in our prayer room, my left, your right. But maybe you came in today and, and you're one of those people, you, you thought you related to God because of the things that you do. And if that's you, I want to just remind you that it is by grace through faith that you are saved, and that is not of yourself, it is a gift of God. And so if you're here and you need to put aside religion and you want to have a relationship, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do that. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? If you're here today and you've been caught up in religion, you've been coming to church, you thought you were saved because you come to church and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be Lord and you want to do that today, I'm just simply going to ask you, you're going to stay right where you're at, just raise your hand right where you're at so I can see it. Just put it up. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Any others? Just raise your hand. We're going to have you pray right where you're at. See that hand in the back. Praise God. See that other hand in the back. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Any others? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those that are raising their hands even now. We're going to pray together in just a moment. A little more time. If you're here and you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, just simply slip your hand up so I can see it. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand. See that hand? There's hands up all over the sanctuary. Thank you, Lord. Those that have raised your hands, if you would simply pray with me now out loud, you can put your hands down. I want to mean this from your heart. If you would just simply, 
audibly pray after me these words. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I'm inviting you, Jesus, into my life to be my Lord and to be my Savior. And I pray that you'd forgive me of my sin, that you'd wash me and make me clean. I pray that you would help me now to walk all of my days with you. I pray that you would write my name in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Lord, help me to have a relationship with you. I pray that you would instruct me. Guide me each day. I offer my life to your Lordship and promise to walk with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Welcome to God's family.